0: Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. Thanks again for joining me, and I want to encourage you to reach out to our Facebook site, to our website. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us some comments, give us feedback. We'd love to communicate with you, and we just hope that this podcast is helpful to people out there that are in recovery, supporting recovery, or helping to encourage you to be in recovery if that's something that you need. And certainly educate uh, the public uh, about addiction and how addiction works and hopefully get help to your loved ones and family members and employees or whatever your situation may be because I think that something that we really need to work on in the United States in particular but worldwide is education on recovery because I think that a lot of people don't understand recovery there's a lot of stigma associated with recovery and I think that podcasts like this can help all of us, and help the, the world uh, just reach people to get better and, and live more fulfilled lives. So with that, I just want to share with you something today that I heard at a meeting back in uh, August of 2016. And I tell you, I like to share things from meetings that I go to because I hear just fantastic wisdom from some of the most unlike, unlikely places. You know, I, I've heard it said in recovery that you can be too smart for this program. You can be too smart for your own self. And over the years, I've learned that that absolutely is true. You can get a master's degree. You can get a PhD in recovery. And sometimes just the most (laughs) simple of meetings, you hear the most profound things. And that's been so true. And long ago, I started keeping journals of what I heard at meetings. And I sometimes will just repeat what I hear at meetings, people go, "Wow, that's really profound." Where did you hear that? Where did you read that? And I'm like, "Well, I heard it from a homeless person at a at a, at a AA meeting." And I don't mean that pejoratively. I, I I mean that with all due respect because, uh, you know, I have heard some great things from from people, and you don't have to have letters behind your name. You don't have to have degrees in order to be smart. The fact is that if you're new to recovery if you're new to recovery, if you can't put together 24 hours of sobriety and you go to a meeting and you see a homeless person or somebody that's downtrodden and they've got a year of sobriety, guess what? They know something that you don't. And maybe you can sit down and you can learn something. And before you get too high and mighty about yourself, just ask yourself how much time of sobriety do you have and how much time of sobriety does that person have? And ask yourself again, is there something that I can learn from them? Because the fact is that we can. And that's that's part of recovery is the humility to understand that we can learn from other people. We can learn other things. And we just sometimes have to sit down and humble ourselves and listen and learn. And just maybe if we stick around long enough, we'll start putting together some time and our lives will get better because it takes time to get better. Now, that's going to be today's topic. I'm going to be talking about the five stages, which is really the first five years of recovery. Now, where did I hear this? I heard it at a meeting in in August, August 28th of 2016, as a matter of fact, at a meeting that I went to here in the Washington, D.C. area. And I heard a woman talk about these first five years of recovery and the distinct stages that they represent. And I reflected on it and I thought, you know what, that's actually true. Everything that she said in each year, each stage was very, very true of me. She was just the first person that articulated it in a way that I thought, wow, that just makes sense. And I think that we should share that with other people because when people come into recovery, they want it done overnight. They, You come into recovery and you think, okay, I, I haven't had a drink or a drug for one day and therefore I want my life to change. All the damage that you've created, all the chaos that you've created in your life, uh, I want that to change overnight. And it just doesn't happen that way. She made the statement. She said that sobriety equals slowbriety. Sobriety equals slowbriety, meaning it takes time. Understand this about what's happened to your body when you've been drinking. And I'm just going to stick with alcohol because what what I'm going to share with you today came from an AA meeting. You know, when you drink alcohol, it's damaging to every single cell of your body. Every single cell of your body. The B series of vitamins, B1, 3, 6, and 12, 1 and 3 having to do with, do with neurological functioning, 6 and 12 having to do with energy, energy conversion, uh, aren't even observe, absorbed into your body. And what that means is, you know, 1 and 3 having to do with neurological functioning, it means that, you know, your, bo- your brain has gotten to the point where you're not thinking clearly. So if you have a loved one that is uh, drinking alcoholically and you think, man, they're just acting crazy, they're acting irrational, that's not by accident. It's because their body has been depleted, it has become malnourished enough that it's not functioning properly. So they don't think properly. It's very common for people after, you know, five or more years to look back and say, you know, back in those drinking days, I was a completely different person. I don't know why I was doing what I was doing back then, but it makes no sense. I must have been crazy at the time. Well, much of the explanation has to do with, you you just were malnourished and your brain was not functioning properly. You've also reduced your serotonin levels, uh, which has to do, serotonin has to do with uh, Feeling what that feeling of wellness, that feeling of contentment. And these are things that uh, are developed during your uh, sleep periods. And drinking and drugging actually disrupts that and reduces the, those levels. Also, GABA, GABA levels are lowered. That also has to do with feelings of serenity and wellness. And they are reduced as well. And all of those, all of those vitamins and minerals need to be restored over time. Needs to be restored, and you restore that through pri- pri- uh, proper diet, proper exercise, taking care of your body. And that's why it's very, very important when you come into recovery to really change your wellness program, change your diet habits, change uh, your exercise habits, particularly aerobic centered exercise. There's a lot of studies out there that have proven that uh, aerobic exercise really much speeds up the process of healing your body and your brain. And that can be uh, accomplished in about a year to a year and a half. It just depends on you, depends on your physiology and how well that you you take care of yourself. So, slow variety equals slow variety. So, it takes time. And in the early days of recovery, Really, the only thing you can work on is you controlling what you do, what you put into your mouth and into your body. That's really all you're working on and controlling that. And I heard this woman say, I can control myself, but if I try to control anyone else, it's called manipulation. And we in recovery are pretty good at that. And you know, when we are in the heights of our addiction, is trying to control everybody else. But really, in, sob- uh, in sobriety, we're really working on controlling our own actions and our own emotions. So, if I try to control myself, uh, um, you know, if I try to control anyone else, it's called manipulation. So, I'm going to try to work on putting, not putting things into my body that are destructive. In the first couple of years, that's pretty much the focus. So, <clears throat> here's the five year cycle that she had, and I thought that this was just so. Uh, relatable to me and to my own experience the first five years of sobriety because I often get asked well what is the definition of long-term sobriety if I say that I'm in long-term recovery what does that mean well it depends on where you go um, I, uh, there's the medical definition and then there's uh, what you see in, in recovery rooms. And in recovery rooms, if you've been around long enough, it's not written, but it's a bit of a tradition where people want you to have at least one year of recovery. Again, depends on where you go depends on what you're trying to do, but one year of recovery before you hold some sort of a a volunteer service position, um, maybe sponsoring other people, working with other people, and having worked all 12 steps before you do that. That's in the uh, AA or 12-step world. In the medical world, it's Usually two to five years, two to five years, uh, with the medical community kind of leaning towards the five-year end, um, but two to five years. And I think that's based upon what we talked about earlier is looking at your, if you remain totally abstinent, your, your body taking about a year to year, year and a half to heal itself. So two to five years usually, and that fits the cycle that I'm going to talk about here. So this woman in the speaker's meeting, she said this. In your first year, you're really just trying to fix your body, fix all the damage that's been done to it, get those nutrients back in, Uh, take care of yourself, get your, you know, really working on that sleep patterns, eating properly, getting um, the vitamins back into your body, uh, maybe taking a good multivitamin, taking supplements, but just fixing your body because alcohol is damaging to every single cell of your body. It's damaging to every single cell of your body. Uh, alcohol is, if you think about it, it's it's toxic. Alcohol is toxic to every cell in your body, and it's used as a cleanser. It's great to use to clean. Like I cycle, so I, I use alcohol to clean bicycle chains. I use it to clean grease. You can use it to clean things off of tables. You can use it to strip uh, uh, tables if you want to repaint them. It's a great remover, but it's also a great remover of friends, families, careers, hopes, and dreams. It's the great remover. And the great Father Martin from Father Martin's Ashley, uh, that was a big line of his, that it was the great remover of dirt, dust, and grease, but also hope, dreams, and futures. So it is the great remover. And so that first year, that's all you want to focus on, you don't want to focus on, well, look, I want my family to come back. I want my job situation to improve. You, We do want all of those things, but it does not happen overnight. Remember, time takes time. Time takes time, and it does not happen overnight. You, you, your drinking and drugging went on for years, and the repair in your life is going to take time as well. That's just the way it is, but you have to focus on fixing your body in that first year, and it has to be your complete and total focus is to get through that. So the first year, fixing your body. Then the second year is fixing your emotions. So now after the first year, after balancing out our body and repairing our body, now we want to uh, take a deep look at the emotional upswings and downswings that that we go through, and this is very typical. And if you're around meetings long enough, you will see people go through these stages, very emotional, um, and that's just you know people not um, really knowing how to deal with their emotions because it used to be that if you were upset or angry or felt bad, you would drink or drug, and that and. To you, that that's how you fixed it. You just deadened those emotions, but guess what? Now you are feeling those emotions, and now you are having to deal with them. You are having to deal with those emotions, and so you have to uh, work on that, and and that takes time. Maybe you are you are going to talk to somebody about that, a counselor. Maybe you are going to go through uh, therapy of some sort. Maybe you are just going to d- double down on your meetings, whatever it is that you need to do to to work on those emotions. But that's pretty much the second year. Is working on it. So we've fixed our bodies, we've allowed our bodies to heal, then we work on the emotional aspect of it. Then we move on to the third year, the third year of recovery, and that's working on the psychological aspect of our recovery. Now, what I mean by the psychological part is what are those things that cause us to become so resentful and so angry that we go back and pick up that first drink or drug in the first place? the psychological things? What are the things that trigger us? What are the things that that set us off to say, you know what, I'm going to go back. How I'm going to fix my problem right now is I'm going to go take a drink or a drug and that's what's going to fix it. And those are the things that we have to identify in our life and work on because there's an old saying in, in recovery and that is it's not the 100th drink that kills you. It's the first one. It's the first drink. And so everything in the program, in the 12 steps, is designed to get you to not pick up the first drink. You do understand that AA does not get you sober, right? And and some of you are going to think, well, what what do you mean by that? Then why would you go to AA? It doesn't get you sober. It keeps you sober. You get sober by going to Um, a treatment program, or you you go to detox. And that's how you get sober in the first place. But how you remain there is by working the 12-step program. And so uh, that's what we have to do in the third year is work on those psychological triggers that cause us to go back and pick up the drink in the first place and really work on not uh, allowing ourselves to become too resentful and too angry, angry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt that acronym. We don't want to be too hungry, angry, that's what we're talking about here, lonely, or tired, that we go back and pick up that that first drink, and we need to, to work on that. So in the fourth year is our spiritual development. And I remember that that was so true of me, that that's when I went back on that conversation. That quest that, you know, sort of revisiting, you know, my spiritual life. Now, what do we mean by spiritual life? Do I mean, you know, find religion, find God? Uh, it, can, it can be. And for me, that's that's what it was. But, you know, the spiritual development is a deeply personal travel. That's a very deeply personal journey, you know, for you. And that's something that in your mind that you're going to work on in year number four. And the funny thing is that that becomes secondary to getting well, you know that fixing your body—the first and second years—fixing your body and then fixing your emotions. Because, quite frankly, um, until you get to this point, your mind is not clear enough to be able to, to really search those deep meanings. That you know, where you start thinking about what what's the bigger picture here? What what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose here on Earth? What what is it that I was put here to do? frankly, you're you're just not clear enough until you get to this stage. But clearly, this is the stage that you start working on, and that was what was happening with me at the time, is searching out, what do I believe? Do I believe in God? Do I believe in um, other, something else? Whatever it is that uh, is important to you. But when you're dealing with the spiritual aspect of this, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, in, in the rooms, it's called your higher power. What is your higher power? Well, your higher power needs to be, A, something outside of yourself, because recovery is about being outside of yourself and working with others. Addiction is about isolation and self-centeredness. So in this stage of the development, we are going to be looking at what is it, what is my purpose, and what is my role, and what is my mission on planet Earth? You know, so for me, it was a belief in God. It was a revisiting of my uh, denomination, of my religion, and and it was me just coming to the realization that my purpose on planet Earth is to help help the fellow traveler and the fellow sufferer. So I began to do things, and having that mission in life to help others. A tree achieve what I achieved, and and get the happiness and contentment that I have today, and share that message of uh, experience, strength, and hope with others. And this podcast, which you're listening to here today, is an outgrowth of that that realization. How can I serve others and get outside of myself? Because that is key to recovery. So that is f- year four, the spiritual development. So year one we had fixing your body, year two fixing your emotions. The third year is the psychological development, and then the fourth year, spiritual development, and then this. Okay, year five, and I want to be very, very careful when I say this. In year five, it is the concept of you got it. Now, I don't mean you got it and you can go back and drink and drug and go back to your own behavior, your old behaviors. That's not what I mean by that. What I mean by that is you you've got it, and that you understand the cycle because what i have found after those first 5 years is it seems like those the the cycle begins again and i go back through those things i've refocused on my body i've refocused on my emotions the psychological part i've gone back to learning uh and developing that spiritual part for me that includes going back to school and getting another degree in addiction and co-occurring disorders and and studying that why because it contributes to my mission of helping other people. So that cycle starts over again. But at year five, you begin to understand that cycle and understand the things that that set you off. And, and I've I've learned to back away from people if it upsets me too much. And all those concepts I can I can anticipate problems. I can anticipate those issues now because I understand the cycle. And that's an important thing for you to do. Now, what does all this mean today? And, I, and I've really emphasized not having resentments, not having anger, not being uh, in a position where you you just get to the point where the halt concept, hungry, angry angry, lonely, lonely, and tired, where that sets you off and you go back to that first drink. So what you learn to do in sobriety is to really be around positive people that are loving and caring now, positive people. And not surrounding yourself with people that are negative and will feed your negativity. I've asked people in the past that I've I've taken to meetings uh, for the first time. I uh, I will ask them to kind of do the social observation of the meeting, and I've asked people to look around if, if they have no experience on twelve step meeting is look around the room and afterwards I'm going to ask you who are the new people and who are the people that have been around for a while and are sober and. By sober, I mean people that have spiritual development and contentment, spiritual development and contentment. Because I'm going to throw this concept out to you. I'm going to say that not drinking and being sober are two different, very different concepts. And I'm going to do an entire podcast on that. But not drinking does not necessarily mean not that you are sober. I have been around people that have not had a drink or a drug in decades, but I would not consider sober. Because they've not had the spiritual development that's gone away with removing drink or drugs. Again, that's a concept that we're going to talk about down the road. But what you see with a lot of new folks that come in, and I would put myself in this category, is they sit around in the meetings and they talk about how crappy everything is. That my life sucks, my wife sucks, my husband sucks, my boyfriend, girlfriend, boss, whatever. Everything is just terrible. And they talk about that endlessly. And that's what's clearly setting them off and, and leading them back. And a lot of these folks, it doesn't surprise one to hear that they keep relapsing and keep drinking or drugging, okay, because they've not gone into that spiritual dimension, that spiritual world, and so they keep relapsing. Whereas people that have been around for a long time and have worked the steps and they've they've developed in their program look at life differently. They look at life positively, and, and this is in spite of tragedy, death, cancer. I mean, I've heard all kinds of things in meetings that most people, it would just crush them emotionally if they went through it. But these people are content. They're not happy. They're content because they understand that there's a purpose in life. There's a purpose that everything that happens to us into others and they look at it from that spiritual plane that spiritual view and they keep it in perspective and they keep themselves in perspective to in relation to the rest of the universe and they've developed they've developed a very solid sense of gratitude and that's another thing that you hear from people that have deep sobriety and have been around for a long time that they are very grateful for everything that they have despite the circumstances that they are facing at that moment. And that's very, very important. And you need to look at the meetings and identify with that and say, that is somebody that I identify with and I want what they have. And I'm going to do everything I can to achieve what they have achieved. And if you don't have a sponsor, that might be a good opportunity for you to go up to that person and ask them to sponsor you and say, whatever you have, I want. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to attain that. So with that today, folks, this is Mike Van Meter. Again, thank you for joining me in Recovery is Possible. I look forward to hearing from you. Please reach out. Please email me. Please go on to Facebook. I'd love to hear your comments, your concerns, questions. And uh, I also have a website at www.vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, and I'm out.